The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. Welcome to How We Teach This, a podcast where we talk with experts and educators about topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. Today's guest, Jamil Siddiqui, is joining us to talk about teaching strategies that he has found effective in the classroom. Jamil was inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame in the class of 2020. Thank you for being here. Would you please introduce yourself and explain a little bit of your background? Sure, Christy. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here talking to you today about education, one of my favorite things. Um, like Christy said, my name is Jamil Siddiqui. I am in my 29th year of teaching at East Bridgewater Junior Senior High School. I've been in the school district my, my entire career. I started off, actually, as an engineer in college. Um, when I was in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And people would say to me, well, you're good at math, right? I was like, well, yeah, I'm good at math. And they're like, well, you, you like money, don't you? I'm like, of course, who doesn't like money? And they all said to me, then the equation you want is math plus money equals become an engineer. And I blindly went into engineering, enrolled at Boston University, become an engineer. And while I was there through a series of, of fortunate events for me, I ended up getting involved with tutoring mathematics and really found that I had passion for it. Helping students overcome their, their fear of mathematics and getting them to the point where they were feeling confident in mathematics was, was a feeling I really enjoyed. And by my junior year, I knew I was going to switch over to become a, an educator. But I finished out my degree in, in teaching, I'm sorry, my degree in engineering, and then went back and got my master's in teaching. And that's when I hooked up with East Bridgewater High School, where I've been teaching my, my entire life. Thank you. Welcome to education. I'm just curious if you could tell us a little bit about your philosophy of we teach the way we were taught instead of the way we should. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking earlier and one of the things that, that came up and again, for, for everyone listening, you know, I, I teach mathematics. I've been a math teacher my entire time. And I think so many of us were taught math in a very, very similar structure. This idea that we're going to learn this, this set of information call it unit one, and then somewhere down the road, we're going to have a unit one test, and we're going to test you on those skills, and then we're going to move on to unit two and unit three, and we may never revisit unit one. And we teach math as these compartmentalized little topics, and I think that's where we fall short a lot of times. And I think that was that was pretty standard. I think, you know, that's how I learned math. I think everyone learned math somewhat similar and can, can relate to it. You know, I, I tell my students this story all the time. I say, you know, I first day of school, I'll say, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's about you. And they're all like, how can you do that? You don't even know me. I'm like, no, just hear me out. Sometime in your past, you had a math teacher that said, we're going to have a test on unit one on Friday. And you went home on Monday, and you said, I should get started. I should start thinking about this. But other things came up, and you're like, well, it's only Monday. I, I got plenty of time. And then Tuesday, you came home. And Wednesday, you came home, the same kind of thing happened. You were like, I should start, but you know what? It's not till Friday. And by the time Thursday night rolled around, you figured, wow, it's it's eight o'clock Thursday night. I better get started on the studying for this. So you took out your books and you said, okay, let's 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 hunker down, and you started looking at every problem that you did that week and memorizing the steps to get you through that. And then Friday came around and your teacher went to give you the test, and you were so anxious to start it, you just ripped the test out of their hands and started writing down all the formulas that you were afraid you were going to forget. Took the test, got it back, got an A on it. But then 48 hours later, you had no recollection of anything you had learned. But it didn't matter because unit one was over and that was the last we were going to see that. I think that's a very typical experience for, for most students. Uh, like I said, I know it was for me. 
what I want to do is I want my students to see math as a spectrum, to see how, you know, there's a beauty that's woven throughout topic to topic that's a connection. And you can't really go on until you really internalize that material from the beginning. And the more you teach it for understanding as opposed for right answers. You know, and again, as a student, that, that's what it was all about. It was like, oh, did I get the right answer? Did I get the right answer? No one ever asked me, how did I get it? No one ever asked me if I understood the steps. If I memorized the process and I could follow it blindly and get that right answer at the end, then I was a good math student. And I taught math that, like that for a while. And it, probably halfway through my career, I realized there's got to be something better because my students are scoring well, but at the end of the year, they're not acting like they've learned anything. So when, when I say that, you know, we, we need to stop teaching math the way we were taught, that's the item I'm talking about. Just don't break it up. Let's make sure we understand it as a continuum and go one step further. If I'm teaching Algebra 1, do I know how that's going to be used in geometry so I can set my students up for their future math classes? And do my geometry teachers know what's happening in Algebra and Pre-Calculus and Calculus? And then do my Calculus teachers know what's going to happen when they get to college? Because I don't want a student to feel like, I've never heard this. I don't remember this. I want them to say, we talked about this. And I, even though I might not remember the specifics, I can get into a conversation about it because I understand how it was introduced. And by having that conversation, it will remind me of where that topic fits in. That's awesome. I, I honestly wish I had been a math student in your classroom because I absolutely loved math until it got to that level where it was more than just memorizing facts. It was understanding concepts. So that, that would have been cool. You know, and Christy, I think you're just that, just to tag on that. I think math is a very unique subject. Now, I'm biased. I'll be the first to admit it. But, you know, I think everyone sooner or later hits that wall in mathematics. It doesn't matter who you are. And for some people, it's, it's algebra one because all of a sudden it's like, where are all the letters? Why are we talking letters all of a sudden? You know, and then other people, it might be calculus because calculus is the first time you have to draw on all your previous math classes and no one's telling you exactly what you need. You got, you got to remember what you did the last 10 years. For others, it happens in, in college level mathematics when things become completely theoretical. But what's important for all the math teachers to recognize is they need to remember what it was like when they struggled, when they lost track of what was happening and be empathetic to their students so that they can, can help them along the way. Because like I said, I don't care who you are. Uh, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but a lot of the people I've worked with are, are geniuses. All of us have found a math course that we met our match in and that we really had to push through. So that, to me, you know, that's the thing we got to remember. So would you tell us a little bit about what a typical day looks like in your classroom? Yeah, uh, it, you know, we, I've taught so many different schedules. You know, I've had 45-minute periods. I've had 90-minute periods. I've had everything in between. We're currently running a schedule now where we're in, the, we're in the 70s. We're about 74 minutes a period. One thing that I always like to do is set up my lesson using a problem that they're familiar with. So when students come in, I'm going to have maybe a problem on the board that's a, a recall of knowledge for them, um, activate something they've already learned. Or if I'm not going to do that, I'm going to start out with this really open-ended question and get discussion started, okay? And, and try to get the students just thinking about what they know already. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Socratic teaching. I, I really, really believe the less I tell my students and the more I ask them, the better teacher I am and the more they're going to learn. 
Because as a math teacher, we can fall into this trap a lot of times where, hey, I'm going to put this formula on the board, and you're going to copy it down, and you're going to apply it on all 20 problems for homework tonight, and you're going to get every single one right. And I could do that in a matter of minutes. But I would rather spend the entire 70 minutes questioning them to get them to tell me the formula before I give it to them so that they have an understanding of why we're using this formula. So a lot of what I do is just questioning my students and trying to bring out, you know, it's kind of a guided thing. Right? I know where I want to go. I know where I'm trying to get them and just question them over and over again until we get to that destination. But it's not me telling them, it's them telling me. And I get really excited when it, it doesn't always work perfectly, but when it does, you know, those, those are a really, really great classes and I really enjoy that a lot. So I think on any typical day, you'll, you'll see it with, a, with an opening exercise that's going to activate. And then I'm going to introduce a problem they've never seen before, but it's the natural extension of what we just did. And then it's me trying to get them to tell me how those two things are related. So again, the, the, the main, the main theme here, the common thread is, it's not new. It's, it's a continuum. We're building off and we're understanding every step along the way. So that's how I really love to run my classes. I had always thought the social studies whenever I heard Socratic. Um, so it's a little unique to hear that from a math teacher. So I'm just thinking about what the questions might look like. What, give me an example of a question that you might pose to your students. Whatever, whenever a student comes to me and says, well, I'm stuck. And so often, right, in, in, in all of our subjects, students come, I don't know how to start or I'm stuck. And they, they give you no level of where they are. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, unless you're at a 10, you don't have an answer, right? So when you say you're stuck, are you at level 1 or you're level 3 or level 7? Where, where are you on, the, on that scale? So the first thing I'll always ask them is, where did you start? What, what, for my class, that means what's the keyword? We, we, we talk about keywords. And... We talk about math being a language in my class a lot of times, and if you recognize a keyword in Algebra 1, and you see that same keyword five years later in an advanced calculus course, it needs to mean the same thing. The definition, the meaning of that word is not going to change over five years. So if every time you see that keyword, you know it means to think something in particular, well, now you're not coming to me saying I'm completely lost. I don't know where to start. Now, now we've got a starting point. So my first question is always, you know, did you read the question, what's the keyword you found? And then they're going to answer, I hope. After that, it's like, what does that keyword mean? And just like in my, my students who take English, right? I remember being in, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, every Friday there was the vocabulary quiz. Definitions are not something you can really figure out, right? Definitions are given because someone one day said, I'm calling that item a table. You know, that, that, that item is going to be a table. Well, that's what we're going to call it. Now, if I'd never heard the word table before and I looked at one, would, is there any way I'd figure out to call it a table? No, of course not. So with definitions, there is an element of, you know, I hate to say memorization involved, but I think more usage. The more you use it, the more it becomes ingrained in you. Okay, and uh, I, To be fair, I guess there's some memorization involved there. So if they don't know their keywords, now it's up to them. Every one of my students has a keyword list that they're adding to, and they, I just ask them to read it once a day. Just keep all these words fresh in your mind. You might not master them, but they'll be familiar to you. So now when they've got the key word, now becomes, well, where do you start? And a lot of times they might be stuck. And if it's something that they're stuck on, that's a previous knowledge. Like, for instance, when I'm teaching calculus, so much of the time students are stuck, not because of the calculus idea, 
but because they're now into the computations and they've forgotten an algebraic rule. So what I'll do is I'll give them a parallel question that's got the same rule at its heart, but for whatever reason will be a little easier for them to figure out. So they'll solve that parallel question, and then I'll play dumb, and I'll be like, how did that work? How come it worked that way? And they'll explain the rule to me. Then we'll go back to the other question, and hopefully the light bulb will go off, and they'll be like, wait a minute, this is the exact same structure as the easier question. The same rule will be applied. I convinced myself it was different because it looked hard. It doesn't matter that it looks different. It, we talk about structure. We talk about recognizing how pieces are fit together because the same rules apply if it's the same structure. So that's kind of an example of how I would lead them through it. And, you know, students, they learn to like it, but at first they, they really don't like it at all because they just want the answer. They're like, why won't you help me? Why won't you tell me the answer? And I, I, I tell them they don't believe me. I'm like, I am helping you. I'm helping you because one day I'm not going to be there holding your hands and you're going to have to ask yourself these questions and you're going to get yourself through these problems. And again, it's a transition because they like instant, you know, gratification. They want to know right away. But one of the, one of the best compliments I get from my students is when they take the AP exam. Now, obviously, I'm nowhere in the room. I'm nowhere around when they're taking their AP exam. They'll come up to me, you know, the next day or whatever, and they'll say to me, I got stuck on this problem, and I closed my eyes, and I heard you yelling your stupid questions at me. And that's how I got through it. So... You know, you were there. You, you you trained my mind to think that way. So when you weren't here, I could still get it right. So I didn't like it very much in the beginning, but now at least I'll admit I see a little bit of value to it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What I'm hearing you say is that your classroom doesn't have near as much of just sitting and doing quiet math problems of computation, but that you have a lot more. Um, communication going on. Is that accurate? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And again, I, I'll keep going back to every chance to give me that. You know, we, we treat math as a language and it's all about communicating. One thing, again, this was a comment from my students and I don't know, if, I don't think they meant it as a compliment. I, I, I think they meant it as an insult, but I, I took it the exact opposite. They said to me one day, and again, early in the year when they're getting used to me and my stuff, I don't really like your class very much. Okay, well, why not? Well, because in your class, we don't do math. We talk about that. And they meant it as a bad thing. And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. I'm not the type of teacher who's going to do 13 different examples so you can memorize the steps. I'm the type of teacher that's going to do one example for the whole class, and we're going to dissect it to pieces so you'll know how to apply it in every situation. So that whole idea of, of that student saying to me, we don't do math. We talk about math. Like that really resonated with me. And that, that was something I, I, I really enjoyed. The other thing that I always want my students to take away, um, I think this is a big part of it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Students struggle. They don't want to admit that they struggle. The last person they want to tell is their teacher. You know, think about a student who's having a hard time. They'll tell everyone in the world except their teacher. They'll tell their brothers, their sisters, their friends, their cousins, their moms, their dads, random people in the street. They'll tell them math is terrible, but they won't tell their teacher. So one of the things I try to do in my, my classroom is build this culture of two-way communication. So one of the rules is that every day I want you to say three things. You have to, you have to speak three times every class. It might be as simple as just saying good morning when you walk in. You know, you, you might tell me something about yourself. You might have something about a problem to add. It doesn't even matter to me. 
if every student starts the year saying three things to me every day, when it's time for them to ask a question, it's going to be so much easier because they're used to talking to me. You know, so we try to break down these walls that, you know, I'm the teacher and you're the student and, and try to build up the wall, build up the idea of like, I'm your coach, I'm on your team, and I want you to be successful as much, if not more, than you want to be successful. So let me help you. And the only way we can do that is if you're comfortable communicating to me. And communication doesn't mean I'm lost. Communication means I was doing this problem. I knew at first I was supposed to combine like terms. But when I got to the point where there are X's on both sides, that's when I got lost. That's the kind of question every math teacher dreams about. Because now we know where you're at and we know where you're stuck. And now we can formulate a plan on how to help you. That is awesome. And I know at the middle school level, students are especially hesitant to talk to their teachers. So just telling them up front that I need you to talk to me three times today and breaking that barrier where, okay, I have to say something. What am I going to say? That's a great idea. It's brilliant. Thank you. I understand that you've been practicing more of a standards-based grading philosophy. How does that work in your classroom? Yeah, so standards-based grading is is kind of like a relatively new idea for a lot of teachers right now. It's really picked up a lot of traction in my school these last year or so. I think that down deep in my upper-level classes, I've always done some form of standards-based grading, even though I didn't know that's what it was called. And and the reason for that is, is the way I think about standards-based grading is I don't care how fast you learn the material. I care that you learn the material. I think it's safe to say that every student has their own innate abilities. So to say that everyone should be learning at the same rate is kind of preposterous, right? I mean, you've got some kids who are, who are inclined to math. You've got some kids who, who struggle a little bit more. So to say on, you know, our first test is on October 1st, and you have to have mastery by October 1st when we've got a whole year together. I would love that, but I don't think that's realistic. And I think for kids who have this hesitancy to to want to do math, I think that creates even more anxiety, right? So the rule in my class is real simple. You always give your best effort, and you let me worry about your grades. Okay? You give your best effort, and you let me worry about your grades. You can come talk to me anytime you want. We'll have open, frank discussions. But if if you're the student who got you know a 97 on October 1st, keep doing what you're doing. you got nothing to worry about. And if you're the student who got a 47 on October 1st, well, that 47 is a temporary grade in my book right now. Now, what are you going to do about that 47, right? So are you going to come back? Are you going to go over? Are you going to, are you going to participate more in class? Are you going to ask more questions? Are you going to continue to see incremental improvement? And then what I want to do is give you another opportunity to show your mastery. And in my class, I ask my students, how do you want to show my, your mastery? If you want to show it by me giving you another quiz, fine, I'll give you another quiz. If you want to show it by coming after school and talking to me and showing me at the board and leading me through a problem as, as you're discussing with me, that's the, that's the best in my opinion because now we can have instant feedback as you're doing it. If you want to show it to me by taking over a classroom discussion and saying, I got this, I'm going to tell everyone how to do it, that's fine. All, all of these things could work in, in my students' favor to turn that 47 into a much, much better grade. If a student tries to show me mastery down the road and they still don't have it, well, here's the thing. The year's not over. You can try again. You can keep trying. So I really get upset with our grading system. I, I think it's more detrimental than helpful, if anything, because we've ingrained in our students that 
Knowledge doesn't matter as long as the first number in your score is a nine. Right? If you've got a 90 anything, you're going to get an A, and that's the most important thing in the world. And then take it one step further. We give them cutoffs on when they have to have that nine by, right? First term ends on this date. You've got to have that nine by now at the end of first term, second term, third term, fourth term. I would much rather have informal reports each term with your grade at the end. I mean, there, there, there is a destination, right? And for us as, as a school teacher, it's the end of the school year. And for me in particular, when I'm talking about AP Calculus, it's really whatever day that AP Calculus exam is on. But if you struggled on every single problem until May, and it all clicked in May, and you dominated that exam, you deserve an A. There's no question in my mind you deserve an A, okay? Because just because you didn't learn as fast as the student to your left or to your right, that doesn't matter. Because you're not being judged against that student. You're being judged against the material, and you've shown that dominance of the material by the time we were done. So I've always tried to incorporate that somehow in my grading, again, especially at the upper level at the upper level classes. Now I'm doing it in all my classes. Um, this past year, like I said, there are different teachers from every department in my building doing some form of standards-based grading. It's led to some wonderful discussions between all of us, you know, uh, interdepartmental discussions about how do we do this and, and should we be consistent so a student going from my class to your class knows what's happening. And it's really, really been a good discussion about how we can assess our kids across the curriculums. And it's, it's been a great discussion, Kristen. I know that hopefully in the future we're going to have some more time to talk about that. Yes, I'm hoping we're going to gather some of your coworkers to be able to do another episode um, and get some other content area and see how they're doing it. So look for that podcast to come in the future. As we talk about the grading, what about the problem of a student who is already smart, <clears throat> as we tend to say, and can pass the test without any effort? They don't engage regularly and they don't do the homework but they got the A in the test. What do you do for that student? So that's the student that I want to make sure that they can really communicate it. Because if, if that's a student who's who, who breezed through math their entire life, the computational part seems to click for them, right? They, they can do the numbers. They can do the computation. But if they can't explain it, and I don't mean just explain it for the sense of convincing me they know it. I mean, I might be able to see that from their work. But if you can't tell people about the work you're doing, how much value does the work really have if you're the only one who can appreciate it? So I've had a lot of students who have been very, very gifted in mathematics, but not master communicators. That takes it to the next level of, okay, now you're doing these problems, but can you tell me how it fits in? And I always want to want to do a problem in a different context. Because some students learn, for instance, if it's a, if it's a velocity position acceleration question, a classic calculus physics type question. They'll learn the formulas. They'll be able to apply these formulas without even thinking about it. But what they may or may not realize is that a totally different contextual problem about bananas on a store shelf that are being stocked and bought and as they go, which was a classic AP question a few years back, it's the same rules that govern that situation. So when they can talk to me about, well, this is what I did and this is why it works and this is what you know, my tools of math are doing for me. And that's what it is. You know, in calculus, we learn certain tools, but they're applicable in an infinite number of contexts. So once you learn how that tool works, now the communication comes in. How does it fit into the context with the particle motion versus the bananas on the shelf versus my bank account, money coming in and money coming out? I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to apply that. 
And that's language. That's all language. Students just being able to say, this is the context and the contextual clues. So for the students who are great at math, like you mentioned, I want to make sure that other part of their brain is being exercised equally, that ability to communicate with the viewing as well. That's great. So Jamil and I had so much fun in our conversation that we went past our time frame for the podcast. And I want you to listen in for part two, because in this first episode, he talked a lot about how math is still a language and how you communicate in math is so important. And those strategies you can implement in a lot of different classrooms. In this next episode, he's going to talk about the importance of legacy and recognizing those people who influenced you as a teacher, but then how you can know that you're making an impact in the future for others. So be sure and subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss part two of this interview with Jamil Siddiqui. Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by the Teachers College at Emporia State University, featuring talks with experts and educators, addressing topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. You can get more information provided by our guests on our website, www.emporia.edu slash HWTT. We would appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us and share on Twitter with at HWTT underscore ESU. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. If you would like to be a guest on our show or are willing to give us some feedback, please send us an email at hwtt at emporia.edu. I'm Christy Dugan, the executive producer. You've been listening to How We Teach This. Thank you.